I feel better than I felt in so long. Ooh. Why? I feel clearer than I've felt in so long. Mmm. Clarity is nice. It's it's resonant. It's clean. Fresh. It's good audio. Great audio. Superb audio. Hopefully better than it has been in the past audio. Hopefully better than it's ever been audio. Constantly improving. (laughs) What a day. What a day and what a time to be alive. This is Colin. 50 million buckaroos. This is Chris. I couldn't talk to my phone to make my lights turn purple. The computer was a gateway. You know, we all want the internet to exist. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Exactly, yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah, so it's cool. Cool. This is Shiny Podcast. Following the light and throwing a little shade on the newest and brightest in today's gaming and technology. Welcome, folks, on this glorious day, evening, middle of the night, commuting time, lonely breakfast time, family breakfast time, occasional bathroom time, shiny time. It's wonderful to be here with you, and wonderful to be here with you, my dear friend Colin. Oh, same to you, my dear friend Christopher. Today, we have a big big episode for you. We are going to cover a little bit of news and controversy right at the top with the new online gaming store from Epic. Is that correct? Yeah. Epic Games. Mm -hmm. Epic Games. We're going to cover that. Colin's going to tell us all about it. Then we are going to have a conversation with a friend of the show, Cody Sullivan, who has launched a podcast of his own called Pulp from Beyond the Veil. We're going to talk to him about it, figure out what the show's all about and what he's doing with it, and we have a whole interview for you to listen to, to chew on, like a zombie, like a flesh-eating zombie, which is not outside the content that you might hear on Pulp from Beyond the Veil. I keep calling it other things. Because beyond, ter- beyond the Veil. Beyond the Veil, Beyond the Grave, Beyond the What's They're Talking About. Von der Bong we always, it always degrades into German. <laughs> <laughs> you are English, aren't you? <laughs> Sorry, it always improves into German. Is that better? <laughs> we are going to go through how to do this podcasting thing, all of the ways we found not to do it, and finally, how to achieve excellent audio. So long as your steam furnace isn't blowing at a billion miles Whistling per second. at you. Yeah. <laughs> hey. The, 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 the mice uh, workers union, their, their day is over. You know, it's done. <laughs> it's time to switch shifts. Yes. For all the mice to go <laughs> to the factory or home. So that's all coming up in the Shiny Podcast. Why don't you, Colin Moon, take it away? I... Love playing video games. I have a lot of Steam games. I could see potentially buying games on any store, like the Humble Bundle, 
um, potentially the uh, Ubisoft platform, whatever it's called, Ubi Dooby Doo. <laughs> My personal favorite, GOG. GOG, an excellent one. I could see that. I mean, I only do it occasionally when the deals are good, but <laughs> I might shop at Epic, right? Should I do that? Well, you might want to give some pause to that, at least for the time being. So why are we talking about this? For a long time, the, the predominant and still the predominant leader in uh, buying and playing video games on PC has been through uh, Steam, which is owned by Valve. You might have heard of Valve from games like um, games like Portal or games like Half-Life. Uh, Half-Life. Thank you. I was like, God, what is the <laughs> that, that one? What's that the big one? one? Yeah. What's the one? The two, yeah, but not the, the, the three. The, the, yes. <laughs> yeah, but definitely not the third one. <laughs> yeah. Half-Life one and two games like that. So you, um, Valve is Steam's parent company. And so Steam is a platform for buying and playing games. And uh, it is the, the, the biggest one out there. And so on PC on PC sorry yes on PC and it 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 certainly works for for my purposes um i personally on on a on a personal level prefer GOG which is owned by CD Project Red you might have heard of CD Project Red they are the uh makers and developers of the Witcher video game series and that's that, a, that yes absolutely and their platform is great uh i, I think because it is DRM free uh, it means that when you buy that game and you download it, uh, you can do whatever you want with the file of that game. If GOG disappears, goes out of business, belly up, you are still able to play that game. That is not the case with Steam uh, and, and platforms like it. If Steam were to all of a sudden disappear, all of those video games that you bought and paid for are gone. And uh, so I prefer GOG, but that's not really what what we're we're, we're talking about. Um, so the reason that this is coming up now is that in the last month or two, Epic Games, which is responsible for games like uh, Team Fortress and most recently and, and I would argue more uh, more popularity, uh, Fortnite. You may have heard of Fortnite. I hope you've heard of Fortnite. You've probably uh, heard of Fortnite. You've probably heard of Fortnite. If you're listening to the Shiny Podcast, it, like the Shiny Podcast is vastly less than than the knowledge of you know Fortnite. So yeah, you, yes, you probably know it. Yes, uh, it is. It is an online uh, uh, game. It's a battle royale setup. You know, bunch of bunch of players enter. One person leaves and is the winner. Oh, it's Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Thunderdome. Except I think it's more, it's more than two people. So I, at least I hope it's more than two people. So Epic Games is, is the developer and maker of, of those games. And so uh, I think in uh, late 2018, they launched their own Steam-like platform for buying and playing video games. So on the surface... Uh, competition is good. Uh, I think that it's great that that Steam has has some some competition because they've been the kind of de facto um, de facto platform for that. And, you know, they're providing some really great incentives for people to, ha you know, develop and put their games on Epic Games instead of Steam, uh, particularly 
in how uh, uh, revenue is is parsed out. So Epic will only take 12% of revenues generated by third-party games, where Steam takes 30%. Uh, 30% is pretty industry standard across Google Play, um, uh, Apple, um, it's it's kind of the industry standard. So Epic is really trying to incentivize people to come to their platform with that that only taking 12% of your revenue, um, which is tempting. Tempting enough that a major release like Metro Exodus, the next installment in that that game series uh, a game set in post-apocalyptic russia um uh, a really cool game franchise if you're kind of you know if you want kind of a good punishing first person shooter uh lots of realistic um environmental elements like right down to you have to be cognizant of uh battery life on a flashlight in the tunnels of the russian metro um so that game has been was announced last year and has been available for pre-order on Steam for for a while. And so the uh developer of I love Metro by the way. Just just while we're talking about the Metro games, that's like pretty disappointing actually cuz I love the Metro games. Yes. So it was available for it's been available on on um on Steam for pre-order for a long time and the the developer decided to remove it uh from from Steam and then put it on Epic Games instead. So there's still a lot if you pre-ordered it on Steam you are still going to be allowed to uh play it on Steam, you know, you're you're you haven't lost the ability to play the game that you that you paid for, but if you want to play the game, you know, if you want to get the game from here on out, you have to get it through Epic Games. Um, so that's and, and this is kind of what seems to me a bit of a growing trend here. Uh, Ubisoft has recently done the same thing with uh, the sequel to The Division uh, with The Division 2. They have also decided to migrate that release over to Epic Games instead of having it on Steam. So, oh, man. Yeah. So uh, don't they again, have their own store as well? Yeah, I don't. I don't understand Ubisoft doing that. But I mean, you can you can still buy Ubisoft games on Steam. You but you can also just buy them directly from their platform. Um, I do find it a hundred percent of the profits. Yeah, I assume. I guess maybe they're hedging their bets or just trying to cast a wider net by eyeballs. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. Epic, Epic obviously has the the. Attention factor. Anyway, that is continue. true. That is true. Yeah, especially with Fortnite, and and so so again, what's the what's the problem here? Steam has some competition. Maybe this will you know force them to uh, negotiate better contracts with their third party games. You know, release a little bit more of that revenue back to the developers. Um, competition is also it's just good in general. It would force Steam to maybe continue to work on you know new features and be you know, a fresh platform as opposed to, you know, at the top of the game or top of the, um, top of the food chain. Um, I think part of the problem and and part of the reasons that, that, that this is, this is kind of an issue is that Epic Games doesn't really, (laughs) doesn't really have the best, uh, I think user, uh, experience, uh, right now. I hope, 
I'm hoping that, and I think they're getting a little bit of backlash over this, and I'm hoping that this will kind of change things, but part of the problems that that I'm seeing uh, are particularly with their user agreement, and I'll, I'll kind of read a little bit of that. Uh, because I think it's worth it's it's worth noting um, and kind of know what you're you're getting into, especially as a developer, but also as a user. And and then um, also the the component that and please correct me if I'm wrong about this. This is something that that I, I had seen somewhere and I couldn't find the source for it. So if I'm wrong, please correct me. But I'm under the impression that Epic Games, their platform has to, if you want to play your game, you have to be connected to the internet. You cannot access your, the content that you paid for, even if, it, even if it's not an online multiplayer game, even if it's a single player game like Metro Exodus, um, you have to be connected. Uh, that is not the case with Steam. If and the you, game is downloaded on your machine correct. in that paradigm. Like, with the, okay, that's something wow yeah so the, yeah. The, the the launcher has to be able to connect to the internet for the thing installed on your computer to work right okay just want to make that crystal, that's the way that crystal is still fucking yes. clear okay, that is the way cool. i understand it and again i am open to criticism here because that's this is my understanding of it after after kind of trying to wrap my head around why why this is a problem and so that that's a big problem for me um and <laughs> i appreciate that you know, if you, of course, if you want to download a game and then if you want to uh, play an online multiplayer game, of course you need to be connected to the internet. But I don't play many big online multiplayer games. Most of the games that I enjoy are single, single player experiences, and I want to be able to play them whenever, wherever, on whatever machine I install connected to the internet or not. I hope, I would hope that people feel the same about that. Maybe they don't, but I feel passionately about being able to do that. Um, and, and so that's, that's one component of, of why I'm not so sure that Epic Games is a a great option right now. There's a bigger issue though, and it has to do with, with the user uh, agreement and in particular user generated content or UGC. And so I'm going to read a little bit of, of the agreement, uh, here to kind of give you, this is, this is Epic Games. This is their user agreement. These aren't my, my own words or an interpretation of it. Any content that you create, generate, or make available through the Epic Games Store application shall be quote-unquote UGC. You hereby grant to Epic a non-exclusive, fully paid, royalty-free, irrevocable, perpetual, transferable, and sub-licensable license to use, copy, modify, adapt, distribute, prepare derivative works based on, publicly perform, publicly display, make, have made, use, sell, offer to sell, import, and otherwise exploit your UGC for any purposes for all current and future methods and forms of exploitation in any country. (coughs) We can do whatever the fuck we want with whatever the fuck you do with whatever fucking game you play forever everywhere in perpetuity Amen. yeah <laughs> and what <laughs> wow and and to be clear steam has some similar language the difference between these two platforms though is that for steam it's only it's only for the purposes of promoting steam as opposed to generating revenue for 
for Epic. Epic is basically saying they can take your creation, create a derivative work of it, call it their own, and make money off of that and leave what you made in the dust is a potential situation here. So I'm a I'm a mod maker, I'm a skin maker, I'm a that kind of person that doesn't feel like the proper platform for me if I'm that kind of person. Would you say that? I would say yeah, uh uh, uh yes, indisputably bad if you were that type of person from what I understand here. Interesting. And it's worth noting as well that Epic's parent company is Tencent. And if you don't know who Tencent yes. is, uh uh Tencent ha- has made some some headlines uh uh being accused of spying for the Chinese government and passing information about their citizens to the Chinese government. Right. This what is a- the company whose CEO famously said it is not evil to copy. Yeah. What a great, I mean, what a great monitoring device. <laughs> Truly. Then, 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 then video games. And I mean, and not just like you playing video games, but if you're streaming that video game, if you are a streamer and that's, that's your, that's your thing. The content, if you were to stream through Epic Games, as far as I understand that that content becomes the property of Epic Games and is also potentially being, being sent to to a, a chi- the Chinese government, just like Facebook, just like Facebook. <laughs> so, for these reasons, I really have to question: Is Epic Games uh, a a safe place to uh, buy and play video games? Right now, based on this evidence, I would say no. I would say. Absolutely not. I would say your platform looks like spyware to me, and I want it nowhere near uh, my machine or the video games that I'm playing. Colin, that's an excellent analysis of what's going on. No shit. I I will admit to being undereducated on the subject before we came to the table today, and I feel like I have gotten a fairly complete picture, honestly. Awesome. That sounds fairly dastardly, if, yeah. if you ask me. I did have one, yeah. one question, though. Yeah. How, well, how well does their client work on Linux? <laughs> Chris is like, I can deal with a little spyware if it works on Linux, and I can play my video games on <laughs> I Linux. Mean, can I... <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I'm a pragmatic man. <laughs> so I'm taking that to no. Yeah, uh, I don't believe so. No. I highly doubt it. I, I can't source the answer, but I'm gonna say no. <laughs> I'm gonna say that they're. I'm gonna say that they're decidedly anti-open source. It sucks because honestly, I I really wanted to play Metro Exodus. I wasn't gonna pre-order it because I don't pre-order games anymore. But nobody does, I, right? Nobody kids. does. <laughs> but um, uh, that's a bummer. It's a it, it just just on on that that game alone but just the 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 broader scope of of what they're trying to do here i i would like better competition for steam competition does drive innovation absolutely but this this should not be competition the basis of this competition should be in improving features and and the user experience not a race to who can be the most draconian with their 
data collection about your gaming habits, for goodness sake. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's insane. Thanks, Colin. Yeah. You shine the light. I grew up watching Nick at Night and all the old shows that they would play after hours. I would also eat up things like audiobooks, uh, uh, old, old radio dramas, you know, The Shadow, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Love that stuff. Love that stuff. So when a good friend of ours started a new podcast, I got really excited with a title, Pulp from Beyond the Veil. This is a show that leans into that classic storytelling on radio vibe. Very retro, and they do it in a very cool way. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited to talk about this and to, to bring it to you so you can check it out because we managed to score, because, you know, he's our friend, a great interview with our buddy Cody, who will tell you all about his show, Pulp from Beyond the Veil, himself in your ears on the Shiny Podcast. So why don't we roll that? Roll the tape, John! We're here with Cody Sullivan with a new podcast that you should absolutely check out called Pulp from Beyond the Veil. Horror and sci-fi submissions for your approval and my approval. And I do. And I do as well. Yes. Hey, guys. It's good to be here. (laughs) It's a very approving situation you found yourself in. But the reason for it is that your podcast is, is really, really good. It's really, really good. It's spooky. It's original. It's a bit of a soundscape at times. It's it's quite cool. And the best tradition of classic radio drama. You've really crafted something here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, man. So so welcome. And why the fuck would you would you do something like this? This is crazy. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> so much work. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're you're not wrong. Uh, you're not wrong. Um, well, I guess the short answer is. Um, uh, be- because I love doing it. Um, I had been writing these short stories for a long time, these kind of weird uh, sort of like nebulous, amorphous uh, short stories and could never really like do anything with them. Uh, you know, they just kind of sat on uh, on my computer and I would forget about them. And then like a year would go by and I would, you know, feel nostalgic and I would go back and look at, at some of my writing and I'd be like, Oh yeah, there's, there's that story. Huh? You know, the vile goblet, I started that one and I never finished it. Huh? I mean, maybe I should pick that up again. And, um, the origin of, of pulp from beyond the veil, uh, actually came about out of necessity to kind of communicate with, uh, some of my friends who, we're not nearby at the time I, w- I was living um i was living in fairly vermont and you know great great place but very isolating for somebody uh mm-hmm. like me who who you know doesn't drive so i'm i'm up there i don't have a car so i'm just stuck kind of uh on this beautiful lake with you know maybe five people that i hang out with and um i just wanted to reach out and kind of connect with some of the people that I don't know that, that, that were creative that I knew, um, from both when I was in college and from back home, um, people who I had worked with and, you know, I'm laying in bed one night and I'm listening to, believe it or not, I'm listening to a reading of, 
um, Call of Cthulhu. Uh, I don't know who the who the guy reading it was. It's just happened to to look up on YouTube like Call of Cthulhu audiobook, whatever. And I'm listening to it, and I just have this moment where I'm like, "Huh, I could do this. I could do this kind of thing." You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try doing this. My mic, you know, my computer's got a microphone on it. We'll give it a shot. And so I started by doing the Raven, which actually is in the first episode of Pulp. It's in the pilot. Uh, I recorded myself doing the Raven, and I really enjoyed doing it. But when I finished, you know, what what do I do with it now? You know, what am I supposed to do with this thing that I've created? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not what's the vessel. Yeah, exactly. It didn't really seem like something that could just be like a standalone thing. And that's when I started kind kind of like drawing connections between like, okay, I'm, I'm writing all these short stories that are like, you know, super kind of weird. And, you know, I, I play a little bit of music, but like, I can't write a full song. I can do a little jingles, you know, little jaunty tunes and things like that. What if I just put all these elements together and started a podcast? And I've been listening to podcasts, you know, for a number of years. It never really occurred to me that like, oh, anybody can kind of like do one of these things from from their home, right? That's, I think that's the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Why not? Uh, so from there, it was just a matter of, um, you know, writing the first script uh, it took me no time at all to write the first script. I already had the Raven done at that point in, uh, pulps, uh, history. We were doing a segment called killer serials, which was like a serialized entry. It was supposed to be every episode. We would read another part of a longer you know, story that existed in the public domain. So for episodes one and two, you can hear me reading Franz Kafka's the metamorphosis. Um, so that kind of between that and the Raven, I had over half of the episode already done. Um, the reason I kind of chose like pulp from beyond the veil, uh, as, as the, the name of, of the show is I really wanted to try to capture the sort of, uh, you know, variety that you would get in these old pulp magazines. You know, you might have on one page, you know, a story about, uh, you know, an astronaut landing on Mars and finding like, you know, giant, you know, aliens like 15 feet tall. And then, you know, on the next page, you might have a story about a barbarian like Conan the Barbarian or something, you know, fighting these scantily clad women across the desert or what have you. I wanted to try to capture as best I could that, you know, variety. And that way I would have a little something to offer everybody. Uh, and, and from there, you know, I, I just haven't stopped. I've just kept putting out episodes and, you know, every episode I think gets a little bit tighter, a little bit, you know, better production value, a little bit, you know, more work goes into it. And, uh, yeah, we'll be releasing our, our sixth episode in, uh, well, eight days, eight days from now. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been great. That's super cool and super exciting. So I want to dig into a little bit the, the, the inspiration for this and i love that you know <clears throat> imagery that you, you bring up when you say uh the, the word pulp right where you know it, it really it, it feels like a mouthful and <laughs> <laughs> but also like you know there's a lot in there and it's very dense and you you do that very well you you know the the shows that you've made cover a wide amount of subject matter but it all has this like you know creepy factor to it and uh part of part of that is your you kind of lean into sound effects and ambient sound and and you know music and uh 
so how much of that do you do you do how much of that do you sample what's your process there so as much as i can uh i try to do all of the like ambient effects that i can and as much of the music as possible uh which can be limiting at, at times because when it's Tuesday, which is, which is the day that we, um, you know, we, we put the episodes out. Sometimes I'm still editing, you know, Tuesday afternoon and I'm like, okay, I need, I need like four minutes of music for this, uh, review segment. And I can't write, you know, I can't write a song that's longer than 30 seconds. So this is going to be a troubling, you know, thing for me, uh, <laughs> in those, in those instances, you know, I usually go to like, uh, you know, wiki commons or some sort of, um, you know, free public access, uh, you know, resource website where I can pull, you know, some, some jazz music or something, you know, instrumental, something fairly, you know, innocuous and, 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 and put that in the background, uh, just so it's not dead air while I'm like, you know, reviewing some sort of obscure movie that you've never heard of. Cause I could, I could people to sleep and then they could crash their cars and their commute. And then that would be awful. And then that would turn into an episode of pulp. So, uh, yeah, I, I try to do as much of that stuff as I can. And and I really enjoy doing sound effects myself. Like I, I remember seeing, I, I don't remember, I don't remember what movie it was for, but it was a, a video of how they were making the sound effects and it was like bone breaking. And it was a guy and he had like a stalk of celery and he was like wrenching this stalk of celery and it was making these bone snappy kind of noises. And I really, I really dug that. I thought that was really innovative and, and kind of cool. Yeah, like using practical noises and letting the brain sort mm -hmm. of draw the connection between what the subject matter is and what the sound is that they're hearing and kind of drawing them together. And so as much as I can, I, I like to do stuff like that. And yeah, it's it's probably if I had to put a figure on it, I'd say it's probably 70% me, 30% what I can find on the internet that I need because I'm either short on time or not musically gifted enough to, uh, to come up with, uh, that kind of content. It's a respectable yeah, ratio. I, I, I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you, um, so you, you take submissions from, from other people, uh, it's, uh, right. Oh, yeah. uh, like, uh, sto like Absolutely. stories from other people. Uh, part of, part of this, um, program what makes it special i think is uh even though it's kind of underutilized at this point is literally anybody can write us either in an email or on our facebook or on our website they can write us and ask to be a part of this project and for the first time last episode i had a stranger send me a message and say, Hey, how do I get in on this? Like, I want to, you know, I want my voice to be featured in, in the next episode. How do I sign up for this? And so he's going to be, you know, hopefully he's going to be in the next episode. We've been emailing back and forth. I've sent him some lines. Uh, he's got a recording Great. set up at home. I'm going to listen to what he sends me and hopefully we'll get him in the next episode. But, uh, so much of, of what we do is, is for the listener, including, you know, accepting submissions and it can be, you know, you just as, as small as, as your voice or as big as like maybe a story that you've written. And, you know, it's sitting just like mine were sitting on your computer, just collecting digital dust. And, you know, you're wondering right. what to do with it. Well, you know, send it to us and we'll turn it into a, a full on production for you and, you know, give you something that you can show people. And in that way, 
pulp sort of generates its own publicity. It generates its own advertising because as more and more people become part of this project, they're going to tell their friends, they're going to tell their family, they're going to get the word out and we're not going to have to sort of, you know, ham fist or, 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 or shove it down your throat. Like, Hey, we're a podcast. Check us out. Um, it's going to happen naturally as people say, Hey, I did a really cool thing this weekend. I got on this program. Like you should totally listen to it. And then their friends and family say, Oh, okay, well, you, we'll check it out. And hopefully from there, we get a couple listeners. Fantastic. That's awesome. I'll tell you, that's exactly what I'm doing this week. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nice uh, quid pro quo that we have uh, going on here as well. And I, I appreciate that. <laughs> little, yeah, little exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're all about the germination or the, the cross, cross-pollination. That's what oh, no, you got it right the first time. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> we're all about the germination. <laughs> No, but truly, it's such a cool project. And you know, for me, who I've just been sitting around all these microphones and shit, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, it's such a cool thing to be able to just, you know, record a bunch of stuff written for you that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to think about it if you don't want to. And Cody will send it to you and then you read it into a mic, have some fun with it. And you end up on a podcast. It's really that easy. It's it's honestly that easy. And uh, my hope is that as we get more and more uh, uh, contributors, that it'll sort of catch on with people. And maybe people who are a little bit on the fence about whether or not they want to reach out will feel emboldened by the people who have kind of come before them. And, and do that and send me that story or, or, or send me an email saying, Hey, I want to, you know, I have a great idea for a fake ad. I think, you know, I think you should, you know, do this thing and it'll be really funny. Uh, I, I would be thrilled to have that sort of connection with the listenership. And again, I think it's something that makes this podcast special is just, and I don't know, it's in our mission statement that we should have a dialogue with our listeners that goes beyond just, Oh, like, did you enjoy the show? But rather, how can we make this more, you know, uh, how do, how do we grow this podcast? How do we get you involved in this podcast as much as you would like to be? Cool. What do you see, uh, next? What's, what's, what steps are coming and, and where, you know, how, what's your runway here? How far do you want this to go? Well, it's funny. I was, uh, you know, not to name drop, but I was having lunch with uh, Joseph Citro, a horror author today who lives in Windsor, Vermont, who's a very great guy. And I was talking to him today about pulp and I was telling him that, uh, you know, we're kind of experiencing this, uh, this brief moment of, of, of growth and expansion that's sort of unprecedented in the program's history. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, I, I got a new co-producer, uh, Zach husband. Uh, he's been a contributor on the show for a while and I was sort of, uh, you know, nudging him along like, Hey, you know, why don't you, why don't you be my co-producer? And, uh, you know, I finally, I think whittled him down into <laughs> relenting and now, now he's, now, now he's the co-producer of the show. It's great. <laughs> Attrition works every time. <laughs> oh yeah. It works every time. You know, if you, if you, if you, you know, bang your head against a wall enough, eventually it'll go through mm. and that's what happens. That's, that's, um, per- that's perfect too. Cause if Zach is wonderful at, at spinning, a, a really compelling narrative. Uh, I've had the pleasure of, of playing some, some role playing stuff with him and the, the worlds that he creates and the narratives that he spins is, 
uh, is really, really impressive. So you, you, you've made, you've made a good choice. <laughs> oh, it, it was a natural fit. I mean, he loved the first couple episodes of pulp. And when I first put a call out there for submissions, he, he was the very first, uh, person. I think he's actually in, I think it's episode one. He's got a story. Uh, cause he, I sent him some of the stuff I had recorded. I yeah. sent him the Raven and stuff. And, um, and he got in the first episode, I think, with his uh, story about the the Boston Aquarium mm-hmm. um, and his like horrifying yeah. experience that he, that he <laughs> talked about there, which was which was great. Um, so we have that going for us. We you know we have a new uh, co producer, which is great. And apart from that, we just uh, we just launched a new website, uh, pulpfrombeyond.com. dot uh, Check it out if if you got time uh, because it's really neat and I really enjoy it. Um, kind of trying to move away from, you know, the podcast has been on SoundCloud its entirety, and I'm trying to kind of move away from that into something a little bit more, uh, controlled and professional and, uh, something more brand building than just a SoundCloud. Uh, and what better than the time tested.com your name. Oh, there, right. And yes. <laughs> big fan of the .com. Big fan of the site. Big fan of the look. Big fan of all of the shows, the custom art. I got to admit, it's pretty slick. It is slick. I I can't believe that I have a website. It's it's a dream come true for me for this show, for sure. Um well, my friend, it is 1993. It's time to get on the information <laughs> superhighway. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, we also, we also launched a Patreon, uh, which is cool. And this is sort of going to be hopefully a way that we can, uh, grow the podcast. You know, nobody here is doing this, uh, you know, obviously for the money, this is a labor of love. Uh, but there are certain goals that we have in mind. You know, we would, we would love to do merchandise. We would love to, uh, be able to do a live show, uh, here in Windsor, Vermont. Um, but what's more than that is a good goal for me to have and to keep in mind is I really want to get to a point where I can um, sort of just compensate people for all of their time and and, and their great work on the show. I know that uh, the artist who did the logo, um, she's a great artist. Her name is Amanda Gay. And uh, I commissioned the logo from her and I, I paid her, you know, something nominal, but it was something. And I, and I told her, you know, I really appreciate your time and your effort. And I totally believe that, you know, all art, whatever it is, you know, if it's taking up your time, even if it is a labor of love, you should sort of be uh, compensated for it. And that's something that I want to be able to do with pulp is, you know, if you have a submission for a great story, you know, I would love for you to, you know, get a little something, you know, not much, no one's going to get rich off of this, but get a little something for your time and effort. Um, same thing with eventually, hopefully getting more artists to come up with, you know, original pieces that we can either use as cover art for the episode or, you know, for a new season, maybe we get a new logo, uh, this sort of thing, but we kind of need to have a, uh, a little bit of a budget in order to do those kinds of things. And I think Patreon is going to hopefully help with that. So we'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed, man. I wish you all the luck. And I think you've got a nice long, bright, or perhaps dark future ahead of you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Likely it will be a dark future, a dark, dark future. Is there anything that we didn't cover about Pulp and Beyond the Veil that you'd like to, to tell anyone or alert all of us to? 
Um, I would just like people to know that the uh, episodes come out uh, bi-weekly. It's like every other Tuesday. And uh, you can check us out at pulpfrombeyond.com, the big .com, which is super cool. And uh, don't be afraid to reach out to us if, if you have... Even if you don't have a submission, even if you just want to say, hey, that story was cool, or hey, that story was weird, like, why'd you write that? Like, I'd love to establish a dialogue with with the listenership, and I truly believe that that's going to happen moving forward as we draw more and more people in. I mean, the last episode, we had the most listens in a 24-hour period of any episode ever, and, and the last episode is... I think the second most listened to episode other than the pilot out of all the content we've created. So we're definitely starting to, to gain some ground and build our, our listenership. And so I, I have every reason to believe that, you know, next episode is going to be, you know, just as hot out of the gate and, you know, hopefully then one after that and the one after that, and you know, we'll see where it takes us. Cody Sullivan. I think you have hit many nails on the head with this project and i and i wish you the best pulp from beyond the veil you can pop it into any old pod catching app that you have or just go to pulp from beyond.com slash rss get it in those apps the back door thank you guys so much for having me on your show thank you for coming Sound and technology have both been a part of my life in huge ways since before I can remember. My dad played a lot of music before he had a family, and then again, while he had a family. Mm. He also used to play out you know, somewhat professionally, play bar gigs, and so he had a whole bunch of audio gear. So I grew up with my dad playing guitar and having cool toys. <laughs> I used to love to play with those toys, much to his chagrin. Get in there, twist the knobs, see what happens. But it was always a, a, a part of life. And, and as time went on, you know, my the way that I eventually made money was through the 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 you know sound industry uh, for a very long time. Not so much now, but True. it was quite <laughs> quite the ride. Yeah. And so I've, you know, always had a, 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 a passion for how to create sound and, and how it all works. But admittedly, most of my experience was in, you know, installed or live sound, you know, in rooms and stuff. Sure. Learning how to record sound and how to produce audio has been all... A, 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 a long challenge and a, and a real you know, interesting deep dive into really rethinking how I think about you know sound as a physical thing and how to process it. Since doing this podcast with you and you know doing the the, the previous iteration of 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 this of this podcast, um, I have grown up a much better appreciation for how difficult it is and how many hurdles you have to jump through to get even just the the most basic of operations functioning the way that you want them to it is um 
it's crazy i mean it's it, <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a big world non-zero for sure it is non-zero it's and in fact it seems to be a thing that for which there is no ceiling you really can go and go and go up and up and up and up yeah truly truly there is a moment where you've gone in deep enough where your returns do start to diminish a bit and the product that you can make is really quite good. And I hope that by the end of this segment, you're going to have an understanding of what are the steps you can take to to make something, some audio thing, whether it's music or it's a podcast or a, a radio show and a radio drama. Radio itself is hard, but I digress. <laughs> Something that you can do with the steps that we define here and learn from our collective several years of doing it every wrong way that you can possibly imagine. Because at the end of the day, I'm probably more myself and, you know, Colin, I won't speak for you, but I'm probably more of a technologist than I am an audio specialist by about a light year. So (laughs) this has been a learning process for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same, same here, man. In in a big way. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have lots of m- music equipment and like microphones and amplifiers and that sort of stuff growing up. But I did have a a real love for music and and you know, especially music and the way and and you know that that's that that's created and and you know, I know how to read music because my so my grandfather was her majesty's drum major he, he's english um and so as we've defined once or twice before yes uh, <laughs> we're all very english <laughs> all very english, it's not important yeah. to us at all and so <laughs> and so he taught me how to read music and uh uh how to play the penny whistle and a little bit of how to play the drums and and so you know grew up with a real appreciation for how sound is produced by the instrument itself um and and then through kind of working with these podcasts yeah just just how just everything that goes into it and and how what the process is what the process is and that moment on from hardware to how to connect to production and editing and then right down to publishing you know the whole tree uh has been a real learning experience over the past four or five years so let's climb this tree, friend. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 start at the 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 roots, right? Right at the bottom. Absolutely. The yeah. foundation. Yeah. What is the physical device that you are using to create this audio? We begin this tale in meat space, in reality, corporeal reality. Tangible. Sound is a wave. It is literally air molecules bumping into each other in particular ways and you perceive those waves via a little reverberating bone in your ear and an eardrum that wiggles hairs on nerves that translate into your brain those waves that's ex- that's, that's that's the whole start to finish and the problem is that that's not really really at all how any other thing that we can build can work <laughs> we don't have you know millions of years of evolution i was gonna say listening device so we have to build 
thing. We have to build a thing to capture that sound. That is a microphone. A microphone is itself a little diaphragm suspended in space somehow, in a little cage usually, that resonates, reverberates with the waves that you, you either say or, or make with a guitar or other instrument. It, it, on either end of that diaphragm, it has a, 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 a wire, okay? A positive and a negative wire. And as that diaphragm moves through a magnetic field, it creates a weak electrical signal that we brilliant humans have devised a way to take and make very loud and manipulate. At its core, we have tried to emulate an eardrum as much as we can, but it is still somewhat imperfect, and you have to be able to process it. But understand that if you don't start with a good microphone, a good thing that can actually you know, do that task of translating reverberations into an electrical signal, you're dead in the water. It's so important. It's so, so important. That doesn't mean you need to spend a fortune, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, you, you certainly have a lot of options. And, I mean, from ranging from, you know, if you... We can talk a little bit more about the difference between these two, but, you know, from, you know, USB condenser mics that are a hundred bucks and less that just plug into USB to uh, an XLR mic that you uh, plug into a mixer. It has, you know, male into female ports that uh, then is plugged into uh, into your computer, you know, a little mixing board. Um, that can cost anywhere from the one that I'm talking into, which was about 250 to thousands. I mean, the, the, as Chris was saying earlier, the, the bar goes real high, uh, real high. Yes. And real there, high. I think there are definitely some diminishing returns. I think once you kind of get, I think the higher up you go, <laughs> it's like at a certain point, you're not, it's not going to carry those sound waves better than something two thousand dollars less you know no, they just carry them differently right. there's different we call them like refer to them as colors microphones have different colors and and sort of they bring out certain qualities in whatever it is that they're recording but you did say an interesting thing in there that i, I don't want to uh, lose and go too far beyond the word condenser microphone condenser microphone and dynamic microphone are the two main types of microphones that you're bound to encounter in the world of audio mm-hmm a dynamic microphone is the device that I described earlier. A condenser microphone is the same device that I described earlier, except that that diaphragm has a bit of an, a, 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 an electric charge running across it, and it is a lot more sensitive. A lot more sensitive. It also requires an extra power source. So if you've ever heard the term phantom power when referred to audio production... That is that extra power source to charge the condenser microphone so that it can be as sensitive as it's designed to be. Mm-hmm. So you'll encounter both as, as, as uh, options. And it really will depend on your space, your voice, your preference, what you want out of the microphone. As I said, a condenser is more sensitive. 
but there are some great dynamic microphones that are honestly pretty hot. Um, the one that comes to mind is the Rode Podcaster, mm-hmm. yep, which is a dynamic mic with a USB port in the back that plugs directly into your computer, and it's really quite hot, and it's really easy because you can put your headphones directly into it, and it's all kind of self-contained. Yeah. Pretty slick. Yeah, and I think another really popular one, I, I can't speak to its quality because I've never used it, but uh, um, uh, Blue um, Yeti, um, the company great Blue um, Yeti, um, yeah, that's another one that's really popular for podcasting as well. Cody has one. Right. And it's, it's, it's quite, quite good and quite popular, but different. Like, you'll, yes. you'll be able to hear a little bit uh, later on, uh, or sorry, earlier. <laughs> what time is it? Podcasting magic. <laughs> Podcasting operates in a circle. It's not a linear line, guys. It's true. It's very true. Uh, you'll be able to, to hear those differences a bit, though, as we'll discuss later, we were recording that purely on mumble, and so the audio quality is not as good as what you're likely hearing right now. Hopefully. I really hope so. I really, really hope so. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't guessed by now, we're really hoping that this episode serves as like the new high watermark for quality as we, you know, talk about audio quality, yes. which, you know, we're not we're not insensitive to. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> there's more, though. Your microphone has to be you have to take that signal, that that analog signal and turn it into a digital signal that your computer can use. Right. In order to do that, you need an interface. Now, sometimes the interface is built into the mic, like the Rode Podcaster that we mentioned earlier, and sometimes it's not, and you have an old-school analog mic. And so the interface will take that XLR analog signal in, and on the other side usually provides you a USB, or sometimes if it's older, a FireWire, or sometimes if it's newer, a Thunderbolt connection to your computer, and it your computer sees that as an audio input that you can bring in to software to manipulate. There's quite a few and a wide range of interfaces that you can get, but the ones that I see most frequently recommended are the Scarlett Focusrites, the PreSonus audio boxes, mm. Very good ones. Most people who want to do podcasting only need a couple of inputs. And by what I mean by inputs is how many physical connections for microphones does it have and how many, uh, how many digital inputs does it represent to the computer. Right. Yeah. Big, big, big interfaces have lots of inputs. At my old job, there's a mixer that has 32 inputs. Jesus. So you can do some real interesting recording in that <laughs> <Yeah>. guy. <laughs> 30 microphones and two ukuleles. Yeah. Just want to capture the room, man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I want to get the room. That's a, a really good point while we're still in meat space before we've fully gone into the computer, actually, is that the place in which you record is very important. You probably hear in my signal a little bit of extra resonance or ambient resonance because I actually am forced to record at the moment in a kind of big room while I get together the ability to, to, to build an isolation spot in here. Um, and, and, and so I try to defeat that with the microphone a little bit. 
but the place that you record is going to be part of the characteristic of what you record. Absolutely. Just as much as the microphone itself. Absolutely. I think especially with, uh, you know, we were talking about the condenser microphone, it picks up everything. (laughs) And uh, I I use this. This is me scratching my beard. Isn't that weird? I'm sorry. I just did that in your ear. However, (laughs) the ASMR folks in our in our crew will be very happy with that. Not not true. That's not soothing at all. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everything. You can drop a pencil across the room and it will pick it up. Right. As opposed to, you know, my experience with this XLR microphone, I can adjust uh, the the gain. Basically, the uh, um, the space that that microphone is actually actively picking up that sound i can adjust i kind of and actually this this analogy came 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 from chris kind of think of it as um kind of think of it as a a globe that is around the microphone and the gain allows you to and stop me if i'm not saying this correctly doing great It, it it allows you to expand and contract that dome so that if if i want to turn the gain up to capture uh my cat using the litter box in the other room i can do so i can turn the gain up so high that that globe is so big that it picks up the sound in the other room or like i have it right now i have it shrunk down in a way that it it is right around the microphone and hopefully is only picking up my, the words coming from my face as opposed to the traffic outside or my cat using the boombox. That is an excellent description. That is an excellent description. There is an, an intensity factor as well, not just like space that it picks up sure. in, but but that, you know, if you think because closer to the microphone with the the gain up so much if it's able to capture uh, Miss Money Penny pooping in the other room, <laughs> then then it's also picking up what's directly in front of it to like you know very intensely, right? Very intensely, exactly, very intensely, precisely. And if a microphone picks something up a little too intensely, it's going to clip. It's going to make like a like a bad sound. It's going to sound you know like that's where you're going to get nasty little little bits and bops and pops and cracks and such that you you know you're gonna hate and you Editing won't be able nightmare. to really edit out yeah <laughs> it's just not really a possible thing yeah and so that's why having good you know like a decent mic is is an is so important i dare say if you could spend a hundred bucks on a mic you're probably gonna be happy and some even at a hundred bucks you'll be able to find a mic that might have the interface built in and if you want to get a separate interface you should probably expect to at least spend another hundred bucks and probably 20 bucks on the cable between the two devices yep yep right on and then if you i think if you want a little a little bit more control so the the microphone that i'm using is is a rode uh nt1 and it's not a paid sponsorship. No, Rode, not at all. Way. None we of us <laughs> happen to use like a lot of roads over the years. We do not make any money on this podcast. <laughs> not even a little bit. <laughs> so um, I have the Rode NT1, um, which is an XLR microphone, and it plugs into an AG06 uh, by Yamaha uh, little little mixing board. And I used to have a condenser mic that was uh, a, a USB plug-in, and when I when I switched the quality, just the warmth of my voice came through so much more. There was the difference between the hundred dollar USB microphone versus this setup, which was 
decidedly more expensive but still reasonable you know manageable between um, the two devices is probably like five hundred dollars right if i yeah. mean realistically realistically if you get, if you get yes. those two things which by the way colin and i have the idea the exact same setup yeah <laughs> <laughs> a little little behind the veil yeah. colin and i tried to make as much as possible the setup identical yeah to try to have that continuity in the audio experience for you our listener <laughs> because we love you because we love you and uh i did not want to be putting out subpar audio and so I, I i invested that money and it's been it's been a much nicer experience especially doing the very if, if you if ever created audio and listened back to it especially if it's you of you talking it can be a little hard to listen to that sometimes <laughs> just yeah. even if the audio is amazing it's kind of hard to like god do i really sound like that right <laughs> um it's a it's a very jarring experience yeah. and this is probably the right time to to say when you are recording yourself, everybody finds it awkward. It, it is a universally, universal. yeah. <laughs> yeah, unanimously awkward experience for absolutely everyone. And so. I can and I can say if you if you <laughs> listen to yourself enough, you get used to it. It starts yeah. it stops sounding so like alien. Alien, yeah. <laughs> And speaking of listening back, that's a that's a pretty important thing. Um, there's there's usually two ways that you want to. Well, well, I'm gonna say there's two ways that you that you can mix audio. That's either by headphone or by speakers. Right. I would also recommend listening to it on all sorts of other devices too. Uh, when you are you know trying to figure out if you've got a good mix. Otherwise, you end up in a situation like we had last week, where the outro music was overwhelming everything. My bad. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> so listen on your car speakers. Listen on your phone speakers. Make you know, give it, give it all a go. Make sure that the levels are relative. But we'll talk about more, that more later. Right now, you're listening back to this creation of yours that you've 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 captured with a microphone and gotten into a, a computer. Headphones are really nice because they let you really isolate what you're doing. And when you're recording, it's important to have no other sources of sound in, in the space. You don't want to capture anything else. So you don't want to record what you're saying when you're interviewing somebody on a podcast and have what they're saying come back into the room. Right. Correct. In order to get a real isolation you probably shouldn't use buds no bud no don't use buds no yeah they, they work in a pinch bleed a lot they're they're subpar for sure i would really recommend getting something that you know some kind of muffs some kind of thing that fits over your ear and something that you know i know 2019 it's kind of passe to have a, he uh, a headphone jack but something with a real physical connection because if you try to do it over bluetooth you're not going to get a realistic snapshot of what's actually happening. Yeah. Also, you might want to mix on some speakers. But it's worth noting that there are two kinds of speakers in this space, okay? There are what you probably have, like entertainment, watching, consuming speakers, uh, you know, computer speakers, something that either shipped with the person that made your machine, or the people who made your machine probably wasn't one person, I assume. <laughs> or, the, <laughs> or maybe you've got like a surround sound system. In the consumer entertainment space, 
there are a different set of rules and a different set of, of you know, virtues and specs that those manufacturers are trying for. They're intentionally trying to color the sound a little bit. Uh, what comes out of those speakers is something that's been somewhat tweaked and manipulated so that you experience the way things the way, you know, you know, that company wants you to experience it. That's where they get a little bit of their brand. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Bose sounds a certain way to me now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's a particular thing, right? There's a different kind of speaker. And if you really want to get a realistic snapshot of what's going on, those are the ones you should, you should, you should strive for. Those are called monitors. Those are called monitors. <laughs> and you'll see this in headphone land as well. Monitors, whether they're speakers or headphones, are designed to give you the flattest possible sound, the, the, the most realistic representation that the device, you know, the, the, the material in the device can provide of what is being recorded with no alteration, no tweaking, and no color. Right. If you have those devices all set up, you're able at every step of the way to, to capture and monitor the sound in a realistic manner so that you know what it actually sounds like the entire time. But then that only works if you've got a couple of microphones in a place and whoever it is that you want to talk to on your production in the same room. Right. Right. (laughs) Which I think... Before we leave, I'm sorry, I can't believe I'm, I oh, forgot it. Man, that I'm was a good segue. Terry, I, you, you can still do this, baby. <laughs> but before we leave, the microphone, the last p- bit of kit that you absolutely need to have is a pop filter. Yes. Yes. A little thing that sits, it's usually a mesh made of nylon or metal that sits in between your mouth and the microphone so that you don't ruin your recording with your plosives no definitely worth mentioning because it it is it is noticeable <laughs> it uh, is yeah so noticeable yeah, i did and not I'm sorry to ruin your segue but it was so damn important no, that we mentioned it, it is absolutely very important i did not have one on my uh old microphone and i have one on my new one and it makes a big difference we go back to the the, the problem of what happens when you can't be in the same space as that person that you want to get that awesome interview from. Right. Like us, for example. We do not record in the same room, the same building, not even the same town or region. (laughs) So uh, most podcasts... I think these days tend to uh, your your hosts are in different places. So how do you connect? How do you create that content with good uh, good audio and have a good connection to produce a quality product? And boy, this has been a <laughs> this area has has easily been the biggest, I, I think, struggle for the work that we've done. I think we've we've gone through 
I don't know, probably 20 iterations of how to do this in the um, you know year and a half we've been making the show. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. This has been very much trial by fire, my friends. Yes. And, it, and we keep alluding to, I'm hoping that the solution, the, the new bit of software that, that Chris sleuthed out, um, well, new, new to our production anyway, um, is, is going to solve the issue that we've been having. But, but yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about, you know, how, how, do we, how do we connect? Here's the problem. When you're recording different sources of audio... In order to make yourself sane, you usually want to record them independently of each other. So my voice ends up on its own track. Colin's voice ends up on its own track. So that if there is a problem, we don't have to try to decipher a mismatch of, of blended together audio that would likely not let us fix that problem at all. You can isolate it. You can isolate the issue, correct it, make whatever minute adjustments might need to be made for each source, each thing you're trying to capture. When you're far away from each other, this presents a very interesting challenge because you can't just put one microphone on its own track like you can when you're standing next to each other. You have to be able to capture the audio in from your mic and the audio from the person you're talking to independently on separate tracks and what a lot of people end up doing is trying to 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 all sorts of different hardware fancy trick ways to do that uh to to get it in there and that's 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 that is that every every conception that anyone has ever concocted really just needs to know the concept of a mix minus where in some way, you can have a separate feed going back to going a direction in your setup that is without another feed, without another source of audio, but, but, but be able to split those into two different directions, if, that, if you follow what I'm saying. If that sounds obtuse, it's because it's extremely hard to visualize. And so to help with that, I did link a description in the show notes that you can check out what a mix minus is. So Colin and I kind of played with that for a while we'd get up we'd we'd connect over you know i had a bunch of different pieces of kit lying around to try and we'd connect over something like skype or or discord and colin really loved discord oh yeah my favorite yeah i love discord it was a nightmare guys it was i know some people use it it's great we found it to be horrible yeah let me let me describe and and this 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 was not an isolated incident and and not just with uh chris but uh would happen as recently as four months ago on a different audio project where you would have four four people connected and okay so we, we have four people a b c and d so User A, let's say that's me, only, you, only user B could hear me, and I, user A, could hear users B and C. Users B and C could hear he, each other, and no one could hear user D, and user D could hear no one. <laughs> and this happened on multiple occasions 
and but not consistently sometimes it would be fine and then sometimes something like that would happen and we would throw our hands up and then go on to google hangouts so it's just like i i appreciate discord for what it is i would not recommend it if you were looking to make a podcast what it is not is a podcasting platform yeah it is not that it is definitely not that it's also a game store now, but that's a whole other, yeah, that's a whole whole other, other tangent. <laughs> so we primarily have been using Mumble, which is an uh, open source um, voice over IP uh, product. What's really cool about Mumble, at least, you know, I think so, you know, you guys know I'm, I'm a, I'm a sysadmin. I'm a, I'm a Linux guy. I love that kind of thing mumble lets us host our own server kind of like in discord except right. it's actually on my computer right it's actually on my you fire it up land you update it you shut it down if you you know it's yeah you run it it, it, it and it's happening here it's happening 10 feet behind me we're connecting to a server that you know we control so that in and of itself is really really cool but Mumble presented a killer feature that we've been using for so long, for so long. What Mumble lets you do is record everybody connected to that Mumble server independently on their own track inside of the software. Right. So you get every, so you get that separation that you so you that you want so you can go back and edit it and, and you know and clean it up and do all the th- you know and, and get that great separate separate source of audio on each individual track and oh what a game changer it's all in that one place. was yeah as opposed to say you know connecting via Skype and then hitting the record button on a program like Audacity and then sending each other your um, your wave files. As it turns out, what we have learned over time is that what Colin just described is actually the superior way to do it yes. if you can. The reason for that, and here's the problem that we kept coming up to. First off, Mumble, I love you. We're still using it to talk right now. The function to record and multi-track via mumble itself turns out it's not so good no it's not so good and and bless you know bless those people they work real hard they are making a voice over ip software they're not making recording software really it's just a built-in you know feature if you want to get real audio recorded well you really need a program that that can record it well and that's 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 just the truth. The freest one is Audacity, and it's super true that you can get high quality audio in Audacity. And I love Audacity; I use it all the time. Mm-hmm. But it really helps if you can get some kind of software called a a digital audio workstation or a DAW. And the reason for this is is a, a complex, purpose built audio recording software is just going to have a lot of tools that are going to help you achieve a a high level of quality in your production. Mm -hmm. 
So we thought about it kind of backwards for a long time. <laughs> we thought that the best thing to do was record centrally. And it actually turns out that this is a process known as a double ender. And that's what a lot of the big fish do. Each person records on their own computer their capture of their voice in a nice audio recording program. We are using Reaper, but there's a bunch of them out there. Uh, you know, Logic, even if you're, if you're on, a, on a Mac. Uh, uh, Pro Tools, if you're rich. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's, there's quite a few. Cubase and Studio One and... Go, the list goes on, and you'll have to find something that, that you'd like. I really like Reaper. Uh, I'm liking it more and more as time is going on. And it provides those tools that, that, that we need. For instance, we have some, uh, right now we have something, we're using something called a noise gate. Here, I'm going to talk, and I'm going to talk, and I'm going to talk, and then I'm going to not talk. And it goes silent. Even though I am in a room, even though I do have cats, and they might be taking a shit out back. <laughs> it goes silent because there's a little bit of, of software that is killing ambient audio under a certain level and not recording it in real time. Yes. And this has solved a months, year-long problem that we've with our with our recording and has made editing such a nightmare is these little clicks and ambient pops just like just being created by uh being created by mumble it sounds like um or this this kind of audio bleed where i would be getting some of chris's audio on my track, making it sound like a little bit of an echo, which it, when you go and through an edit, it just makes it, it slows everything down so much. And I mean, again, because everything's on a separate track, I can isolate it, but it is such a pain in the butt. It's such a pain in the butt. And this in one fell swoop has ideally, uh, uh, nixed that problem. Yeah, totally, totally killed that problem. We may, we may find that we have to, adjust it uh but you know we're the, the a noise gate folks a noise gate on a good piece of software that lets you record audio in beautiful 24-bit wave files a noise gate is heavenly heavenly <laughs> there are i'm glad you brought up that 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 audio drift issue you will probably find especially if you use something like Zencaster, which will come up if you Google this exact problem, or Cast is another popular one. They're, those are very good products. I really actually liked playing with Zencaster. There's a, you know, a built-in uh, soundboard so you can play sound effects right and music and all of that stuff. It lets you record inside of Zencaster and, and drops it directly into like your Google Drive mm -hmm. or Dropbox uh, cloud storage. Very cool features. They've worked very hard on this problem about to describe but there's there's an issue there's a physical issue with recording people in different areas with different machines and that's physics folks <laughs> if you think of your computer as a 
machine as an engine right there's a you know think of like an internal combustion engine it's running it's running at a rate it has certain certain features it it ramps it accelerates at a certain pace you know it has a certain amount of torque computers are the same way and different computers doing the exact same thing will have different arcs to how it 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 does that how you know what what the processor does when you go to write something to disk what the the processor acts when you go to you know read something from disk uh, you know, push audio to a different part of the system. All of those things, they, they act differently, slightly differently. And when you're recording in different places with different machines, you, you, you can experience that fact. And it's called audio drift. Audio drift is the phenomenon that happens when independently recorded machines record at slightly different rates and you experience it as the tracks the conversation you've had moving slightly out of time with it with each other yeah. the people sound suddenly sound like they're not listening to each other so so you end up having to go in and scooch bits of the track around to line it up again so it sounds like a sane conversation <laughs> and boy it's a pain in the butt but it seems unavoidable it seems like just, as Chris said, a, a process of physics. Not even the great Zencaster can fix it completely. It's not every time, of course. It's dependent on a whole bunch of factors. It seems to get worse the longer you record. And it seems that different programs have different abilities to defeat that. And so if you accept that you have to do a little bit of correcting, sometimes you have to pay attention. And you use your favorite, your favorite connection tool. Uh, I still think that Mumble is superior for the reasons we mentioned earlier. Less the multi-tracking feature. Yes. <laughs> Much less. But you, if you do that and you, you record everybody locally you're going to end up with a pretty cool thing. You're going to end up with something that, you know, even if there are problems in it, even if you do clip the mic or you blow into the microphone or, or, you know, something like that, it's still going to be better than it coming through a non-purpose built piece of software. Definitely. Radio stations have this problem. Radio stations have this problem all the time. But radio stations have corrected this problem by inventing very expensive, Expensive pieces of hardware that can sync with each other all over the planet and keep a, a, a central clock when it comes to the, 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 the signal mm. chain of this audio. And those, exp- those devices, when I said they're expensive, they're very expensive. They're very nice. And they just do that thing. They just keep track of all of the device's clocks that are connected to it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool thing. But again, that's a level of monetary outlay that I don't think your average podcaster is going to be Probably able to not. We're talking thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. And so, double ending it is, my friends. <laughs> The 
this episode is becoming gargantuan. We're going to save the second half of the audio production conversation next week when we'll cover actually mixing, mastering, and publishing your podcast masterpiece. Colin, I think it's time we get out of here. Before we go, I want to give a shout out to Cody Sullivan again in his excellent, excellent show, Pulp from Beyond the Veil, which you can hear tomorrow, turns out. As you're listening to this podcast, the day it comes out, you can listen the very next day to Pulp from Beyond the Veil in any podcasting application or paradigm in which you consume your podcasts. Also, I would like to give a special shout out to some friends we made over the internet this week over at a show called Polykill. We've been doing a little back and forth on, on uh, 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 listening and talking about podcasting, and it's been extremely, extremely helpful for us. And I just really want to thank you guys for that. And you should check out Polykill if you're into games, because they go deep, and it's a pretty cool show. Right on. Feedback has been refreshing. Yeah, and we're not talking about it directly because I think it's stuff that we're really, you know, we're taking to heart and trying to work on the back end, but Polykill, it's been, you you guys, you know, it really, really helped us, and we really appreciate that. Absolutely, we really appreciate it. We really, (laughs) really do. (laughs) Take it away, Colin. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We would love to hear from you. Uh, I have a Twitter. It is at KaliAli11. I'm at Fluxola. For now. We're going to join the Twitter account at CastTheShine. Hit us up on Facebook. Email us. Hello at ShinyPodcast.com. Again, do not call us. Or you can try to call us. It's not going to happen. We also have a website, ShinyPodcast.com. And we would love to hear from you with any feedback, advice, topics that you'd like to hear, etc. Next week, I'll give you a little spoiler. We actually do have some questions from our listeners that we will answer. Fantastic. But, but you've got to tune in next week to hear it. As well as the exciting conclusion to the audio production how-to extravaganza. That's going to do it for us, folks. Have a wonderful week. See you next week. That is not all the recording I have to do today.